Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we start this first full week of May. And hope you had a good weekend, some good weather over uh, several parts of the country, allowing farmers to get back into the fields in some places. We'll check in with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson to see what's ahead this week, how much field work may be on tap for the coming week. And also coming up on our program today, we'll see how much planting has been done in eastern Nebraska. We'll talk with soybean farmer Greg Anderson to see where he's at with his planting. Also, we continue our look at the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture, as we'll talk today with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. All that coming up today here on Adams on Agriculture. Again, we hope you are safe and well, and we welcome in Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Mike. I'm in Missouri today, and our state is officially reopened for what were deemed non-essential businesses. So for the first time in weeks, we have uh, two of our four employees who are back in an office, and uh, they're sitting more than six feet apart, but they're uh, good to see them and and good to get back to some sense of uh, what it will be our new normal as we get back into workplaces. Yeah, that's good to hear. As you said, Missouri, one of those states doing that. A lot of us are in other states that wish we were as well. And I, I continue to say, you know, we can do this. We we'll, we can take the necessary precautions and go ahead and open some of these things up. And I realize certain hot spots and certain areas are different than others. But it just seems like there are a lot of places where, you know, open up, give us a chance and we'll do the distancing or the mask or what do we have to do. But uh, let's get some things going here. Yeah, well, that's the case with so many businesses, and especially those who've been shuttered completely and have struggled, like restaurants, to try to have a takeout business or something. It, it's just been very, very difficult, and so many folks I know have been laid off, and my heart goes out to those who not only have not been able to work, but some of those who are on those essential front lines have had a tough go of it as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a... A really difficult time, as you know, for everybody across the supply chain in agriculture. Well, we got a lot of focus right now on the meatpacking plants, and as steps are being taken to get them, the ones that have been closed, back up and going, we know there's some precautions being taken in the plants with more distance between workers, which slows line speeds, but at least it gets the plant going again. But more and more focus now on the concerns, what happens when those workers leave the plants? Well, absolutely. You know, one of the things that has happened throughout, and not just in meatpacking plants, but so many of these workers are living with multi-generational families. They have cultural practices where they may not understand the need for social distancing. And so it's a, it's a whole educational effort. Uh, we talk to folks in our, in the produce industry, the same thing, where people will go on breaks and play cards, you know, and so you're thinking about this going, it's not just about the safety in the plant, which is, of course, paramount, but it has to be all the cultural changes that need to be made as well. And you think about just how difficult it's been for some people to tell them, don't touch your face. <laughs> I know I still struggle with that. So, you know, you have to have a whole host of educational changes as people go back to work. 
Meanwhile, the Senate goes back to work this week, not the House, and everyone wondering what the next CARES package may look like. But while we're wondering that, we're also waiting for USDA to actually uh, start uh, sending out uh, the money from the last one. Absolutely. You know, Secretary Purdue had said it would be at least a couple of weeks. Um, We were hearing maybe at the end of last week, then we were hearing early this week. Obviously, there's a lot of need for folks, especially the lenders are getting very nervous. They know their farmers are stressed out. And so the the sooner the better on rolling out these details. Uh, As you mentioned, the Senate is back at work. They're going to try to hammer out uh, the next round of a CARES package. But I don't think this one's going to come as quickly, Mike. There's a lot more contention about what needs to be in it. Uh, the Senate Republicans, uh, certainly Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, are suggesting that we need a liability protection package for people who are letting their employers, uh, employees come back to work so that there's a level of protection against everybody being sued. Uh, Democrats also want aid for state and local governments that have been hammered by lack of revenue coming in from their tax base. So I don't think this one's going to be something that they'll turn around in a, in a week or so. It'll probably be a little bit longer. Are you hearing any details from USDA on how distribution is going to work with the money they have? No, we're not. And, um, you know, certainly they had a plan in place with the last market facilitation program payment, but they've got different parameters here. They're trying to get money out to livestock growers who have not traditionally been recipients of some of this aid. So we're we're not. I, I hope that as you know, people start moving around today, we'll pick up more and, and we'll be able to update people on our website. But um, right now, not not a lot. Meanwhile, we you know there's so many different layers to this uh, crisis and the different areas that need help. Uh, when we look at when we look at rural America and the challenges with our rural health care system infrastructure. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how much of that is addressed as we move forward with this. Yeah, I don't know if you perhaps you saw, there were two pieces on 60 Minutes last night, one about uh, problems with farm program payments, another one about rural hospitals. And what so many people misunderstand is that many of these hospitals are make a lot of their money on elective surgeries, and that part of their business has been shut down. So you've got nurses and doctors who aren't even getting paid uh, because the hospitals are running short on revenue, and that's another area where a, a, a package did come out Friday and hopefully provide aid to those hospitals. But you know, if you don't have a hospital in a rural area, that means you're probably driving instead of 30 minutes or an hour, maybe two or three hours to get emergency care, and, and that just makes it all that much more difficult for people in rural America. And meanwhile, the biofuels industry just sits is sitting there saying, well, not just sitting there, they're speaking out, but they're saying, wait a minute, you're wanting now to help the oil industry, and there hasn't been anything really to directly help uh, the struggling biofuels industry. Well, absolutely, and those folks have been hit hard, the, the double whammy of the small refinery exemptions, and then, of course, not having that demand there as people have stopped driving and um, you know, the transportation sector is not utilizing the regular gas as much to, to have the blending. So it, it's really causing a lot of ethanol plants, I think, because we think their business model. But I was listening to some on a webinar on Friday. Um, the, there are some folks who are doing some really innovative things, extracting more protein out of the corn, 
uh, you know, helping folks with hand sanitizer. There's some different models that are emerging that's been really interesting on the ethanol scene. And I think we just need to keep yeah, well, an eye on that. I think we'll see more, even more diversity in that industry moving forward. All right, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Enjoy some uh, things returning a little more to normal in your state of Missouri. You know, thanks so much, Mike. Always good to talk to you. Take, take care. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse communications well what about the weather this week ahead who's going to be able to get to the fields we'll talk with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson next on aoa farmers can't choose the weather trade policy or market prices but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Quite a mix of weather over the weekend. Uh, Some stormy weather in places. Cool, wet some places. Some areas got a little touch of summer. Had a summer feel to it for a while. So let's talk about that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, it was an interesting uh, weekend. Some farmers were able to get back out into the fields. Oh, yeah, they certainly were, Mike. And um, by the time it's all looked at this afternoon, uh, we're probably going to have about uh, 50% of the corn crop that's in the ground in the afternoon uh, progress report today, uh, which is almost uh, 10 points ahead of the average fastest uh, start to corn planting in almost five years since uh, 2016 and uh, soybean planting the same way with about uh, what 20 to 22 percent likely to be planted and that's double the average so uh, there's been a good round of field work no doubt about it uh, the last week had rainfall uh, that was uh, pretty heavy in a swath from south central illinois northeast into northern michigan but many other areas, when you think about crop country, had rainfall of totaling no more than maybe around an inch at the outside. And, and so that uh, certainly was favorable for getting uh, work done. And uh, again, I think the numbers today are going to uh, display that. So when we look at, I think Nashville got hit with some more storms, it seems like that southern swath has really had the brunt of severe weather well it has uh the uh the uh, upper air patterns have had the have had the edge of uh cooler troughing in the upper atmosphere out of central canada uh bending south and then focusing in the mid-south uh, part of the country and so that's where things have uh, have fired up the most in terms of uh, the storm intensity uh, so that's where uh, the the circumstances have favored uh, the severe weather activity. And, uh, you know, we could see some of that maybe a little bit farther north over the next uh, 24 hours because there's a pretty good boundary uh, developing in 
southeastern Kansas and then across southern Missouri heading toward the Ohio Valley. Uh, right now there's uh, the chance for some severe thunderstorms. A severe thunderstorm watch covers uh, the eastern half of Kansas into the southern half of Missouri. So we're going to see that today. But then uh, farther north, it's just an area that is going to be uh, prone to getting some uh, rainfall. I, I uh, uh, would use the term, actually, uh, garden variety showers with uh, amounts of anywhere from a quarter to one inch over the eastern Dakotas into part of central and eastern Nebraska, and then light to moderate amounts uh, from central Iowa north through Minnesota and uh, then working across the Mississippi Valley. What about temperatures this week? It is going to be a cool week. Uh, there's uh, going to be quite a bit of uh, chilly conditions from the Rockies all the way east, uh, clear to the Atlantic seaboard. So the, uh, the brief round of heat is uh, going to let up, and I think in parts of Texas that's going to be very welcome. Unfortunately, it's not going to be accompanied by a lot of rainfall from uh, central Texas on west, but, you know, they've got uh, record heat uh, that we're going to see today uh, from uh, San Angelo through Lubbock, uh, maybe as far uh, north as Amarillo, temperatures are going to be in the mid-90s to the low 100s. And uh, this uh, high plains cotton crop is not uh, getting a, a real good start because it's just been too dry uh, to put in uh, the new cotton uh, planting. And uh, rainfall is needed, but right now it's not going to take place. But um, this week uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, temperatures running in the range of 5 to 10 degrees or more below normal. And then mid to late week, there is a chance that there could be some frost and light freeze conditions from North Dakota through northeastern South Dakota into northern Minnesota. I don't think it's going to be a long-lasting event. I don't think it's going to be a real hard freeze, but it is going to get into that, uh, that uh, frost or freeze category. You know, the low to mid-30s, maybe even touching the upper 20s in northern North Dakota, and then the uh, northern edge of Minnesota. Hmm, so something to, to watch there. What about after this week? What do you see on into May? Over the uh, next 10 days, we're going to see this uh, ridge west trough east pattern uh, kind of uh, balloon out to where it was a week ago, Mike, and uh, that means that uh, conditions are going to be um, mild on, uh, on the warm side, once again, over the plains, and the western Midwest, the eastern Midwest, still staying on a still staying on a cooler track, but um, getting farther into May, um, I think we're going to uh, have the seasonal temperatures continue, and uh, probably even uh, getting you know seasonally warmer over the eastern Midwest, uh, with the uh, rainfall patterns likely to be the uh, kind of show the configuration that we've had, uh, where the northern and the eastern crop areas uh, have the higher chances for rainfall, and the southwestern part of the of the uh, plains, and then through the uh, south central uh, and southern Rockies, and the Four Corners stay on the dry side on west. In fact, uh, the the Arkansas River is a a pretty good divider in terms of uh, where the rainfall is likely to just kind of shut off in southwestern Kansas, and then south to the Oklahoma Texas Panhandle area. Uh, I'm concerned about this part of the country uh, staying on the drier side as we finish out the spring and go into early summer. I mean, this is the uh, wettest uh, time of the year traditionally in the southwestern plains or, or climatologically speaking. 
And uh, they're not faring very well going into the summer. You've got to wonder how, how well they're actually going to be able to, uh, to, uh, to fare when it comes to getting subsequent rainfall the farther we get into the year. Yeah, so there are trouble spots. But I was just thinking the difference a year makes. And a year ago, we were talking about wet and cold and flooding. And even though there are, there are wet spots, and uh, I know just driving around in uh, Illinois here over the weekend, if you know a lot of creeks were out and a lot of uh, bottomland underwater. But overall, so much better than we were a year ago. One, certainly a bright spot when we compare that part of things. It has been. And... Um... Now, the temperatures have still kind of trended to be um, a little bit on the below-normal side, but uh, the fact that we have not had the uh, round of storms uh, move out of the Pacific, you know, into the south-central part of the country and and act as uh, just a a real pump for uh, a lot of moisture to work in out of the Gulf of Mexico has been a big feature, and it's allowed for uh, for conditions to be much more... uh, you know, favorable, obviously. I mean, you talk about these planting numbers right there. That's a big, a big, uh, uh, change from a year ago. And along with that, uh, we did have a drier trend during the winter. We also had a drier trend in March, uh, which allowed for some of that overflow in the uh, river systems to, to, uh, you know, kind of settle down a little bit. And I know that, uh, nobody's going to complain about that after a year ago. All right, what about South America? The uh, pattern in South America is offering a little bit of rain for central Brazil this week. I'm cautious on exactly how much they're going to get because we are in the dry season. But Mato Grosso could have as much as a half an inch of rain over the next five days. And the chance for additional rainfall over the uh, six to ten day period. So a total of maybe three-quarters to an inch and a half of rain in the next 10 days. This is going to get uh, a lot of attention, I, I believe, because the safrina corn crop in central Brazil has been on the dry side lately, and uh, they, they could use the rain to kind of help stabilize the crop in that part of the world. Russia? The uh, pattern in Russia is still looking promising for rain. In fact, a week ago we were talking about uh, the prospect for rain in the next 10 days, and uh, that chance has worked forward in later model depictions. So Russia and Ukraine could have from one to two inches of rain this week. Uh, that, I think, would uh, practically seal a uh, fairly uh, good-sized wheat crop once again in the Black Sea region. All right. Bryce, always good to talk with you. Take care. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So a little cooler week ahead, it sounds like. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John Newton will join us, and we'll get his thoughts on the struggling ag economy, the impact of COVID-19 as we continue to wait for that assistance from USDA to go out and see what uh, Congress may do next in way of a package. Meanwhile, We'll talk about the the meatpacking situation, livestock industry really hurting, so is the biofuels industry, and the impact on a lot of other areas of agriculture as well, and uh, how John Newton as an economist sees us coming out of this. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm doing good. So uh, as an economist, when you look at the overall economy, the general economy, and then specifically the ag economy, as we're dealing with things we've never dealt with before, uh, what's your assessment of just how bad is it right now, and how, what road, what path forward do you see here to come out of this? Well, I don't think we've ever really experienced anything like this uh, in the modern economy. And when you look at what it's done to agriculture, what it's done to uh, livestock markets and produce markets, uh, in particular, it's been uh, pretty challenging. And I think that's why folks have been working with Congress to get uh, support packages out to farmers. Uh, we hope we get the details of the CFAT package uh, this week so we know what type of financial support is going to be coming out there and then working with folks on the Hill to get additional financial resources to help folks uh, you know, bridge the gap, whether it be uh, lines of credit from their lenders, uh, direct payments, uh, moving food through uh, the food donation systems. Uh, there are a variety of things that, that the industry needs uh, to recover from, from the coronavirus. And those things are needed and will help, but long-term, how much damage do you, can we know how much long-term damage is being done now as we move forward, look past this crisis? Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's challenging to, to look, uh, you know, too distant in the future. I mean, when we uh, move to the other side of this thing, you know, to what extent are we still uh, having social distancing guidelines? Uh, to what extent are we going to change uh, you know, uh, restaurant and food service consumption. Are we moving a lot of that to the to the retail channel? What do the retail channels respond? Uh, do they change what they're offering? So it, it's it's really too soon, but uh, I, I think we'll know a lot more once they start to uh, relax the, the social distancing guidelines. Uh, people are anxious. They're anxious to get back out. They're anxious to get back into restaurants and and, and get back to life as normal. And I think we'll have a better idea what things start to look like as we as we get to the other side of this thing. But we're far away from getting to the other side of this thing. Uh, many states continue to see their number of cases increasing. Uh, so it's real important not to let our guard down uh, at this point. And as we look forward to a reopening, uh, we know that, like restaurants, they're probably not going to be able to have full capacity even when they're allowed to open because of social distancing. will cut down the number of people they can have in physically in in the restaurant uh people start to drive but that's going to be you know they're not going to probably rush into that so that's going to be a slow pickup uh so it, it's you're taking these steps at a time when the industry whatever segment of agriculture you're talking about is uh, hurting so bad now and you know you 
as the government can't just keep writing checks, you don't think to uh, you wonder how much longer that can go on, even as we think Congress will probably put together some at least another package. But it just shows this isn't just going to turn around overnight. It's not going to turn around overnight. It's going to be a, a slow recovery. As you said, uh, people aren't going to get out and start driving. They're not going to pack restaurants and, and bars at full capacity. And so it's it's real important, uh, you know, that we continue to monitor this and, and engage what type of support is needed for farmers and ranchers. Uh, and, and I don't think this first package that we're going to get is going to make anybody whole. It's a down payment. Uh, but when you think about what you need to do to protect agriculture and bridge the gap, uh, things like payment limitations just, quite frankly, Mike, aren't going to work. Right. That's been a big area of concern. Are you expecting, I know you're hoping, but are you expecting that when we get details from USDA, they will address that issue? You know, I, I hope so. I, I hope that they, they try to relax uh, these limitations to some extent. Um, I, I know folks on Capitol Hill understand just how, how limit, limiting uh, payment limitations uh, can be, but we, we still don't know what the per unit payment rates are going to be. And I think once we see that, uh, we'll be able to tell just how far these monies will, will go for farmers and ranchers. We're talking with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, I know you keep a close watch on the on the dairy market, the dairy industry. Uh, give us your thoughts there, and uh, how, do, how does the dairy industry move forward with this? Well, we, we wrote a letter uh, last week to the Secretary, you know, really highlighting the, the challenges of the dairy industry. There was a proposal uh, that, that really quickly went in early last week, sought to, to change uh, the federal milk marketing order system. And, and, and we asked the Secretary to quickly distribute the $3 billion in aid. Uh, we asked him to recognize, uh, you know, just how how much support uh, your, your medium to larger size dairy operations are going to need to bridge the gap. We asked for lines of credit to be given to farmers and ranchers. We also ask for lines of support for uh, some of the processors or co-ops out there that may be struggling uh, at this point as well. But it's not just dairy. It's all the livestock operations. It's poultry. Uh, it's your specialty crops, uh, your ethanol folks. Uh, a lot of agriculture is severely impacted by the, this outbreak. We look at the meat packing plants. I mentioned this earlier. As steps are being taken to make conditions safer within the plant, that that's not addressing what conditions those workers are dealing with outside the plant and how do you i mean it's a whole cycle and trying to correct or or fix a whole cycle that really takes time it does and i, I think you know you give access to, to personal protective equipment uh, in these meat processing in these dairy processing plants we saw uh, a situation with uh, i believe laprino foods uh, last week. So we need access to all the safety equipments for the workers, but then uh, when they leave the job, it's important to continue uh, these these uh, guidelines to keep people safe and healthy so that we can keep the food supply chain secure. So uh, while we can dedicate a lot of resources in, in these facilities, it's important for the workers to also continue to practice that off the job site. Has there been any tallying of numbers? I mean, we hear, you know, this segment's losing five billion. This segment's losing thirteen billion. Do, do we have any real idea yet? The overall economic impact loss uh, agriculture has felt so far. 
I think we've seen a lot of preliminary uh, analysis, you know, kind of up to this point. Uh, here's where we estimate our damages to be. I think the cattle folks have put out a number. Uh, certainly the hog and chicken industries have put out numbers. We've seen something from the specialty crops. Uh, but as we were talking about earlier, it really depends on how long of a tail do we have here. Do we get a second wave this summer if we ease our social distancing rules too soon? And so uh, I think there's a lot of estimates of damage, you know, in the tens of billions of dollars at this point. Um, but the longer this continues, if we see some structural changes in the way food is consumed, uh, not only in the United States but around the world, uh, there could be some, uh, you know, some, some damages that, that go far beyond what we've estimated at this point. And I think that's why we've, we've kind of held off on uh, estimating anything, you know, before the fact. Wait till we get to the other side of this and see just what the total damages are. It's important for the secretary to have access to the type of resources he needs uh, to craft uh, programs to help agriculture recover. That's why we're working so hard to get the CCC uh, authorized up to 50 to $68 billion. doesn't mean the secretary has to use it, but he has a lot of resources at his disposal to help agriculture uh, as we see ultimately what these damages are. It will be interesting to see if one of the long-term impacts of this and changes will be in the food chain, the supply system, uh, maybe more flexibility. What lessons do you think could be learned from this that we'll see applied moving forward? Well, I think, you know, we had a, we have a, a fairly efficient uh, food system here in the United States, uh, just-in-time delivery in, in many cases. And I think, uh, you know, everyone, not just agriculture, you know, you talk about all sectors of the economy, when we get past this thing, we're going to look back and say, uh, what type of, of, of shock absorbers do we need in all the supply chains to deal with something like this if it occurs in the future? And, and I think that'll be part of everybody's contingency planning, risk management, and risk assessment planning moving forward. Not just ag, but the whole economy is going to need to do that once we get to the other side of this. I know at Farm Bureau, you're reaching out to your member states across the country and asking for their input on what's needed moving forward. We've had we've had calls with the state Farm Bureaus and the state Farm Bureau staff uh, multiple times per week, uh, really since since this started in uh, mid-May. Uh, the Farm Bureau D.C. office closed, uh, or I'm sorry, mid-March. We closed March 13th. We began having weekly calls just to identify uh, what the challenges were across the country, what the needs were. President Duvall speaks with the secretary on a regular basis. We've had a number of undersecretaries join us, uh, other ag industry stakeholders. Uh, we had NCBA, pork producers join us uh, for calls, really to highlight the challenges uh, that, that our our states are facing. And we had the farm credit folks on last week. I think Chairman Peterson may join us this week. So we've been in constant communication around the country to highlight the challenges so we can elevate them uh, to the administration, to the White House. President Duval uh, serves on the White House Council to reopen the country. So we're in constant communication to, to identify the needs of, of agriculture and our agribusiness partners. Well, as you point out, uh, we're trying to assess where we are and at the same time try to get a handle on where we're going, but that's hard when you don't know how long this, uh, this is going to last. John, as always, we appreciate your thoughts and your input, your perspective. Stay well, and we'll talk again. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. That's John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Again, 
We're hoping to hear some word this week from USDA on its plans for uh, distribution of the funds that they have now to help uh, agriculture with this crisis. Well, planting uh, in some areas very far along, other places not as much. We're going to check in eastern Nebraska. Greg Anderson is a soybean farmer in that part of the country. We'll see how much uh, field work he has done. That's next on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we continue our look at planting 2020, let's go to eastern Nebraska. Greg Anderson, a soybean farmer there. Let's see, Greg, uh, are you closer to Columbus or Surprise, Nebraska? Uh, Probably a little closer to Columbus. I'm about uh, roughly 38 miles as the crow flies. So uh, not too far, just northwest of uh, Columbus here. And today, Mike, I'm watching the soybean planting season from the dugout. We're having a rain delay, but it's Uh most welcome as we've uh, had mostly uh, dry conditions the last couple of weeks, but that's accelerated planting progress. So you needed some moisture. We really did. You know, this part of the state uh, has been short the last couple of weeks of April. We've had warmer than normal temperatures. Uh, Great soil conditions, though, by the way, and unlike the past couple of seasons when you and I would visit about this time of year, I was always describing my planting woes with the rain seems like it never let up and flooding and all that type of thing. This year is completely opposite. Actually, I've been able to work some of those uh, wet spots, and they've worked up beautifully. I do have some soybeans emerging already from those early planting days, and uh, still some left uh, in in the boxes i have about one third left uh, of my acres to go but you know far far ahead of where i normally am this time of year yeah you are all soybeans i was going to ask you uh compare where this is may 4th where were you how much did you have done may 4th last year uh i think if i remember mike i was probably uh 10% done you know not very much i know a lot of it went in the ground from the 10th of May to the 20, 23rd of May last year, just uh, later than I would have liked. But, uh, you know, every soybean farmer wants to get those beans in the ground to get the plants emerged, to have those uh, green leaves capture that sunlight before the daylight uh, shortens in June, uh, late June. So uh, we're off to a good start here so far. It seems like everything we do at planting uh, sets the stage for the rest of the year. And so if we can keep getting timely rains uh, from here on out, our subsoil moisture is really good, just those top uh, couple, three inches that we're getting extremely dry. So these rains today, it looks like it's going to last uh, throughout the day, are, are most, most welcome. And it's falling just beautifully, you know, just a nice gentle rain. Uh, even though you don't grow corn, uh, your neighbors do. What are you seeing in the corn planting in your area? Well, there again, Mike, just like with soybeans, um, Everybody's kind of far ahead of, of schedule. They're 
they've been really after it these last uh, week to 10 days of, of getting corn in. And I'd say, uh, you know, right in this immediate area, just a lot of the corn is in. Uh, there's not that much left to go. There's some spots here and there. But it uh, looks like, you know, everybody's got good uh, planting uh, soil conditions, uh, looking for good stands. I know a lot of people are really, you know, looking at uh, that type of <clears throat> seed placements to get off to a good start and get everything ready uh, without crusting over and, and uh, those types of things. And so it looks, it looks like we're off out of the blocks uh, to a good year uh, production-wise uh, so far. We're talking with Greg Anderson, soybean farmer in eastern Nebraska. What about the land that did not get planted last year, the prevent plant acres? Do you have much of that around you, and is that ground going back into production? Yeah, you know, uh, in, in the immediate area, uh, most of that ground is going back into production. Now, I've talked to several farmers that still have, uh, you know, an acre here or there, too. It's giving them problems, or they just have to leave, I know. Even in my uh, immediate uh, couple miles here, there's a few spots here and there where, you know, that's just not going to get planted again. It's just simply too wet or, or too uh, just couldn't work it, shouldn't get in there again this year. So uh, there are still are some spots like that, not to the degree that it was last year for sure, but uh, sometimes these problems uh, with, with like it happened last March a year ago, uh, can be around for a while, can be around for the next year or two and, and cause some uh, situations that uh, you just have to try to work through. Some guys are trying to solve that through tiling. Uh, others are just uh, doing some management practices to try to get those acres back in. Any disruptions or slowdowns in the supply chain, getting the inputs that you were needing this year? You know, really uh, not, Mike, uh, with all the situations that are going on around the country, uh, what I've found uh, for seed, uh, chemicals, you know, fertilizer, that type of thing, everybody, my suppliers were well stocked, uh, ready to go. I've had no issues uh, to date on anything, even with fuel. So it looks, you know, I know there's pockets of that around the country where some sort shortages and can't get what maybe the product that they wanted. But uh, in my locale, everything has really turned out well thus far, and hopefully that will be the case for farmers across the country. This is a critical time. I know time-sensitive, uh, a lot of pressure, wanting to get things on at the right time, the right product at the right time. So that can be an issue. But in the immediate area here, Mike, it hasn't been a concern. What about still having old crop while you're planting the this year's crop uh how, how's marketing been yeah. <laughs> much moving much moving in your area you know there's there's a, not a lot moving um the scales at the elevators and the semis are, are pretty slow uh, i still have a little bit of old crop beans uh you know i wish i would have sold them uh, much earlier but uh, i'll have to try to find maybe a, a, a somewhat of a rally here in the next few weeks, hopefully, and get, get those uh, sold. But uh, it's been pretty slow, slow that way. I know marketing is a huge challenge for guys uh, everywhere just because of whether it be basis or just, you know, price in, indeed, uh, both for old crop and new crop. It's nothing very rosy, and uh, everything's just kind of a down that way. So uh, we'll stay tuned. Those, those things can and do change. Um, maybe we might get a weather event. Um, hopefully, we can get uh, some some exports uh, moving here. It uh, 
sometimes it's on again, off again, as you know, uh, with those types of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll look for an array of opportunity. I know you're very involved with the biodiesel industry and very concerned about uh, about that industry as well. Greg, thanks for the update. Glad to hear that uh, things are on, on the planting side are moving right along. Take care. Stay safe. Hey, thanks, Mike. We'll talk talk again soon. All right. Greg Anderson from eastern Nebraska. We'll continue with more planting updates tomorrow from around the country. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Be safe, everyone. <laughs> 